Welcome to another episode of Words and Work. I'm Ted Prozelski. Today we're on the work side of things. Uh, we're going to talk to Chris Cheely, who is the legislative representative for the SMART union here in Tucson. SMART uh, represents several different crafts within the railroad industry. And uh, he'll talk about which ones they represent and also a little bit about the strike that was just averted and uh, what issues he and his brothers and sisters had that led to uh, that situation, as well as a little bit of history of the railroads here in Tucson. Uh, he, uh, he knows his stuff. Uh, the whole time I was talking to him, uh, he was in a room full of model trains, so he's very into uh, the railroad culture, I guess is the best way to put it. So let's go ahead and get started, and here's Chris. Okay, I've got Chris Cheely here, and he is with SMART, um, which uh, represents uh, workers in various fields in the railroad. Um, and uh, first of all, to talk a little bit about, I, I, I want to know what, because, you know, those people that kind of follow the history of the railroads know that there were, there have been several unions that represent several different jobs, and some of those Unions have consolidated over the years, um, that's true. And, and that's and that's true in your case. So, what exactly what sort of jobs does your union represent? Smart and specifically Smart Transportation Division, where the transportation division of Smart represents conductors, brakemen, switchmen, firemen, yardmasters on some properties. And, if, and engineers on some properties. We actually have a pretty broad base. Um, we also have endeavors in the air transportation field, but for the purposes of this discussion and what we're going to be talking about today, it's primarily conductors, brakemen, switchmen, and firemen at hostlers, th those positions. Okay, so um, a couple of those positions you named, I think folks who you know, on the outside might need to know what that is. So when you say a yardman, what, what is that exactly? Uh, switchmen or a yardman are people who assemble the trains in the yard. So if you're listening to this and you're from Tucson or any metropolitan area, you'll go over a yard and you'll see a whole bunch of tracks. And the way to think of that is a sorting facility. We are just in the business at the railroads of moving freight. So the switchman's job is they're sorters. No different than taking packages. These are just rolling 130-ton packages. They sort them out into their destination, whether it be the local delivery train, which is called local, or a through freight train that's going across the country. They're, that's their job is to, they're, they're yardmen, and they switch out, or switchmen. They're people who work in the yard. And um, historically, they were separate crafts. It's a different job than what I do as a conductor. Um, it's just very different, so... So what's the difference between a conductor and an engineer? I mean, as someone like me who's just a moron about this, what, what so is... So the best way to describe it, an engineer is responsible for the operation of the locomotive, and I'm responsible for the operation of the train. So I'm res responsible for all the freight, make sure it gets delivered correctly, and we actually are co-responsible for the train. So um, if the ship goes down, we're both responsible. We have opposite, we have very opposite tasks in the, in the in the field. Um, so like an engineer, if we're going to Yuma 
besides calling out slow orders, being aware of hazards, the manifest is my responsibility. The engineer's job is to operate the controls of the locomotive, and I am to advise them and inform them of issues on the road, temporary speed restrictions, things of that nature. And we work as a team. We are truly a team in that cab. It's one of the biggest reasons we're pushing for, for maintaining two, two crew members in the in the cab is that you work as a team, whether it be staying alert, whether it be, be working yet. And yes, it is a truly a safety issue. Um, most of our jobs at El Tucson run at night. Uh, I work to El Paso and and uh, Yuma, Arizona, and it's a lot of night trips, a lot of all-nighters, uh, but that's kind of what you do. And then simply a brakeman is a assistant to the conductor. Um, I've been a lot of local, had numerous brakemen. To make ourselves more efficient, they do exactly what they say. They tie the brakes on the car. They put the handbrakes on. They do things, the manual labor, and the conductor acts in the foreman capacity. So in that capacity, you ask what the difference between conductor is, I'm the one who puts the delivery into the customer. The brakeman is just responsible for helping me get that done. And the engine is responsible for making it go backwards and forwards. Um, along with the host of air things you're respo responsible for. So, so um, you know, I, and I, I, I'm curious about, because I, I know that the big news right now is still over that potential strike that was averted. Um, maybe temporarily, maybe not, but, uh, and, and I know you as a union official are still kind of in the midst of the the voting on that and, and some stuff. So I understand if you can't go into too much about it, but what actually was the issue that, that prompted um, a um, possible strike? It's not pay. We knew the pay would be fine. And it's not necessarily healthcare. We have one of the best healthcares. It was working conditions how we how we operate as a we call them work rules and it's the guide for how we work um i'm gonna for those who are not here i'm gonna just show it to my interviewer um it's a about a 200 page book and this is just a simple one this is one of about five thousand pages and that is how we actually operate as conductors it's called the red book for southern pacific railroad um, which is now Union Pacific, but those actually are how we operate trains and how we work. It had to do with how that was being administered, our attendance programs, and I use a story as an analog um, to how kind of awful the railroad's been. I have a conductor, he's in his early 20s, wonderful kid, um, always dream to work for the railroad. He, I mean, I know since he was a teenager. Knew a lot of guys that work for the railroad, including me, a lot of managers, company officers um he had oral surgery he had to have some tooth work nothing out of the weird that you me or anyone else hasn't had a bad tooth that needs to be extracted planned surgery got a week off pre-approved with fmla he went through the surgery and then came back to work early and came back earlier than expected he felt well he said i didn't really feel like missing work they have procrastinated they have said that he didn't turn the proper paperwork even though he turned the uh health advisement into them that said they paid for his surgery through our healthcare program. Um, the irony is the person who is responsible for disciplining him, not his man, it's a person who lives in another state in another place that called his man. So well, you need to discipline this guy. I need to what we call charge the guy. Go through and, and the, the manager said, I'm not going to do that. 
because I went, I, he's not lying. I went by and saw him on the way home from the hospital to make sure he was okay. And that's what we're dealing with. There's just an absolute lack of caring, lack of understanding. It is bureaucracy at its highest incentive designed to demoralize people. And even at the, the local major level, uh, while we may not agree with them, I'm seeing where they get put into corners that they can't get themselves out of. And simple things like that that could just be handled, it's been completely taken out of their hand. You know, and here's a case where a kid just wanted to need to have his teeth fixed and came back to work early and got back in the job. So that it was working roles, it was rest. Um, to tell you earlier this year until we started hiring, and we're still not out of the woods, we're chronically short staffed. And because of the working condition, we have people last a week. They get their first road train and they realize it's not for them. So the ch challenging hiring environment, the railroads, I'm not 100% sure even with the raises if they'll be competitive in the job market. There might be serious discussions on a per railroad basis that we might have to even bump it up a little bit more. I know there's those in the media that want to talk about the raises, but it's it's a fact now that there's other industries pushing for skilled labor. Uh, my guys, uh, especially, are wanted by like oil well districts, oil well derricks, uh, airplanes, anything that moves. Um, and I use this analogy, and it sounds funny. We do well with people who come out of the, the military that are uh, Navy and Air Force, some Marines, but mainly guys that came out of transportation because, to be honest, it takes a little bit of wherewithal not to get killed working around large moving objects that weigh hundreds of thousands of tons. So you have to have that wherewithal in your and there's a there's definitely a market for that for people who want to work around that dangerous environment and not get themselves killed in the end. And uh, like I said, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous job too. We just had two brothers get killed in California, um, which I I cannot comment on what happened. But let me just put it this way: it was a failure of a signal system, and that's what we'll leave it at for now to the investigation by the NTSB do, is done. So you couple that with, eh, the pay could be you're not paying me enough to overcome. And it sounds bad, but it's just the way the world is right now. Uh, Walmart truck drivers making 100 grand a year, um, and there are um, other rumblings amongst the customers. Uh, the STBs had hurley this year. The industry, ever since precision schedule railroadings come on, has been this weird downward spiral. So, yeah, I I've read a little bit about that precision scheduled railroading and 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 i know from our conversation before that it, it's a, a particular problem for you and for a lot of of your brothers and sisters um could you explain what that is and and how it's affected the job i can explain it not just our job but our customers so psr or precision schedule railroading came out of a gentleman named hunter harrison he was a uh, he'd been in the road industry for a while, and he had some valid points about the top heaviness of our business. We had a, a lot of people running the railroad, running the railroad, but not a lot of people running the trains. So he came up with this idea of how you could lessen the overhead by getting rid of a lot of managers and office staff. And he always said, I don't need more managers. I need more people working the trains. He then exemplified that, and it was all about how much money you can make in profit with cutting every corner you possibly can. Um, it's now become a mantra because he got 
in cahoots with a number of large uh, investing uh, juggernauts and the um, institutional investors. And these hedge funds have absolutely raided our industry. And we, in a little bit of historical perspective, we, uh, Jimmy Carter introduced, introduced the Staggers Act in 1979 to the railroad industry. It deregulated us. And the union supported it at the time because we were losing money per car. Um, and what that means is if we shipped a car for $1,000, we, we charge a customer $1,000. It costs us $1,500 to move the car. And, th and those were all frozen. There was no way to get out of those rates. The government won't let us adjust our rates. So with that, the industry started coming back to being healthy. And through the 80s and mid-90s, over about a 20-year period, the industry got really healthy again. Um, there's some controversial union agreements that came through that, which I will, we can talk about later. But for the most part, the industry rioted itself and got back in the, in the, in the going the right way. We had slowly got to profitability. And the railroads were hovering about 30% profitability, real nice profit. They realized they could make it where they were making for every dollar. They made 50 cents on the dollar. So doubling their money. And that's where we're at. And I, they're the most profitable industry in America. I'm fortunate to do that. They shortcut everything. They do everything in their power to not have extra employees because it's just cheaper not to fix engines. Um, a lot of our supply chain issues are driven by the fact that we don't have the staff that we once did. Um, the longer trains that take longer to get out in and out of yards, uh, our flexibility. The only thing I can hope for that came out of this agreement was um, there's some speculation that the new CEO of CSX is a response to this, that there might be from regulatory training change. He comes from Ford and his background is in logistics. And when I hired out in the 1990s, we were focusing on becoming a logistics company. We, we move freight for people. We move people. We're, we're in the business of moving things not in the business of making sky high profits, which we've all, roads have always made money. It's just an exorbitant amount of money and at the cost of customer service. I had the, uh, a number of officials from the state of Arizona when we were going to go on strike. And I was told something very scary is that um, because the roads for service, we only had a week of grain in storage in Arizona for cattle, for, for feed milk and milk. So that means that Within a week, we would have had no dairy products in the state, probably, or they've been on food rationing. So there's a real concern about the railroad industry, and it really direct impacts people because you may the railroad may not deliver to your home, but it delivers the grain that feeds the cows that gets the milk to your home. So there's a they're definitely in the background running. And I always tell people the best railroads are the ones that you just see them going along and just realize there's all this boxcars full of stuff you don't really know what it is, but 70% of what you use comes on that. So you know, um, when we were talking the other day, and, and this is actually a, a common thing that happens when I talk to folks who are involved in the railroads. I mean, they, they really love working the railroad because it was something they grew up watching trains. They did that. So talk a little bit about how you actually became, decided to become a, a railroad person. So my family were iron workers and my dad worked in the railroad industry. He actually was a rail welder. My grandfather worked here. My great uncle all worked in railroad industry. They weren't what they call TYNE, which is the people who drive the train, the engineers, conductors. They were ironworkers, bridgemen. And I decided to go off and try being a conductor. And I always wanted to work for the railroad like my family. Um, it was something I always wanted to do, and I really was enthralled by it. I have a deep passion for my job. Um, I want to make it better and safer. Um, 
I truly, truly love working on the trains. Um, it's I always say it's I work I love my job, hate the company I work for at times because of some of the way. It, but um, most of the guys you find that way, they have a lot of pride in their job and pride in the work they do. Um, a lot of they study to be better and be a better person. Give you an example. Uh, this morning I had my every three years recertification and I took all my optional certifications just because I like to say that current on everything. I don't like letting anything slip. And most men, most men and women at the railroad find that to be true is that I'm going to be the best conductor I can, best engineer I can and stay on top of my certifications because I want to be the best at what I do. You know, we have a lot of really qualified people that run trains. They're all very they're professional. They run, they, they're, they, Tucson has a very low incident rate uh, comparatively, you know, some of our incidents have been caused by uh, external forces like weather and um, a couple of floods. And those are really acts of God that didn't have any of that weren't really the cruise cruise fault. So. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing, uh, you know, that I, I talked to you about the other day is, and, it, and I think it can be confusing for folks on the outside uh, is just the number of different, unions there are within the railroad and i know that you know you talked about the different jobs or the different crafts within the railroad um for someone who isn't familiar with the industry how would you how, how would you just give the, the quick thumbnail of which unions do what okay so the best way to break it down and this is just for those listening this is just a general overview mm-hmm. there are the big 12 and there's a few others but the big 12 We'll start with mining, smart, sheet metal, air rail, and, and transportation. The transportation division is all the ground people. So if you see us on the ground, it's us. The Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers are the engineers union. You've got maintenance of the way. They repair the tracks. Signal, so they oversee the signaling system. You've got clerks, yardmasters, uh, machinists, boilermakers. And for those wondering where the boilermakers came out of, the boilermakers, when we got rid of the steam engines, took on additional responsibilities so we wouldn't have huge tracks of men in the 1950s losing their jobs. They, they took on additional jobs, so they work in the roundhouse. Um, I did say, I believe, clerks. There are um, uh, communication workers who handle the, the communication railroad tele, telecom, and I'm probably missing a couple off the top of my head that I can't think of, but there's a large and variety and they all have a job to do. Um, uh, our clerks in Tucson handle all the clerical work that needs to be done. The yard masters are actually run the yard. They're a union position. They, they oversee and make sure the daily work in the yard gets done. They're responsible. All of us are big cogs and wheels that keep the railroad going day in and day out. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my favorite name for a union ever was the Brotherhood of Maintenance of the Way, which, which it's almost sounds like a cult, you know, but that, and, and, well, and those, those are the guys that maintain tracks though, right? Right. The yeah. way is an, actually an old English term. And for those of you who, who are on the call above me, if you, the, my interviewer you can see <laughs> that is a Manchester and Liverpool Railroad. That's where the term way comes from. It's an old English term describing the way it went. And a lot of our terms of railroad industry have long-standing histories. Um, we use old, old, old terminology. Um, it was interesting. We just discussed this the other day. 
We are changing the vernacular from being a brakeman. We've officially adopted in a lot of places brake person, but colloquially, no one's changed. It's very in our tradition. We we are a very traditional place where, even as more women came on board, they love the. Uh, my friend who's a conductor, she says, I like being called a brakeman because it's my title. Like it's the ti- mm-hmm. title. I, I I love the fact that I'm a. It's a. There's a moniker that goes with that that you can't get yard master. Um, historically, our terminology came, a lot of it came in effect because of the heavy military influence on the railroad. Uh, managers are officers. Um, it's just how the terminology came up. Uh, a lot of ours came out of the government having a very heavy hand in our industry, uh, probably more than most people ever realize. So. Um, and, you know, the other day I mentioned that my grandfather had worked at the Ice House, and then you had um, a, a kind of a, a little historical vignette about uh, ice on early trains and what that actually did for people's drinking habits. Um, actually, if we can hold the sense, give me one second. I'm going to give you get. Uh, give me one second. Okay. Okay. Holding in my hand is a Coors ventilated reefer um so adolphus coors and a few other brewers realized they could ship perishable um beer with refrigerated railroad cars and they used ice originally and then the meat packers in chicago realized that they use a slurry solution similar to ice and water that got ultra cold they could ship it across the country and it really opened up new markets. So beer, the necessity to ship beer, it would get to places like Tucson and California. They'd have these refrigerated cars or reefers, as we, we call them reefers. These reefers, and they could backhaul fresh fruit. And it really changed the world. To this day, you'll still see dozens of reefer cars coming through Tucson. And it is everything from Christmas trees to watermelons to potatoes to orange juice. You'll see Tropicana orange juice come through. Um so reefers are the fresh fruits and lifeblood of the railroad um, for food. You know, we, we, that's what we're, we ship with a lot of reefer, reefer products. Um, they were originally ice, and then they became mechanical, and now they're cryogen. And uh, they keep, keep getting more advanced and better and better and better. But it, it's, it's really kind of an advantage to this country. Tucson was picked because it's always been for winter shipments. Mexico's always provided a lot of our fruits, fruits and vegetables. So Tucson was a strategic location for the amount of vegetables in Yuma. So that's why they had the ice house. And then uh, Tucson Yard was what they call PFE Yard. And Pacific Fruit Express yeah, was a subsidiary of Union Pacific and Southern Pacific that was responsible for the actual reefer cars. So that's, that is a huge business. And the ice house and the ice stocks uh, were incredibly important. Um, to how we shipped. I mean, I can't, I can't say that enough. And things have changed. We load now, and then there's some discussion in Arizona about adding more docks, uh, particularly for uh, uh, frozen fish. Frozen fish and frozen shrimp have been on the hot, hot list lately. And there's areas in Arizona that are continuing to add um, fruits and vegetables. And there's a wonderful National Geographic uh, uh, video from the 1980s. If you guys ever want to search YouTube called the Salad Bowl Express, and it covers the, the journey of a head of lettuce from uh, basically Yuma all the way to New York and how it gets there and 
all the things that go on. And it's kind of a neat story because you see the train crews and how it's uh, sent on an expedited train that never stops just to have a salad in New York City at a luncheon. And it's kind of neat because they actually follow that head of lettuce the whole way through, which was kind of <laughs> neat. But it, it's really entertaining to show people what, what they all haul and what, what we do. So, so um, we're going to be wrapping up, but, you know, uh, trains have this special cultural place for us. And there's, and, and, and uh, sometimes um, with my guests, I'll play out with a song. And I want to know if there are, if there's a train song that particularly uh, does something for you. Well, I was on the job with Justice Hall and yesterday they did uh, City of New Orleans, which has always been a long time mm -hmm. favorite, but I prefer the Johnny Cash version. So, so you can always go up with the Johnny Cash version of the City of New Orleans. It's one of my favorite railroad songs of all time. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah you, you can go with the Johnny Cash version of just about anything. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's funny because Johnny Cash was such a huge fan of our unions and really supported rail labor back in the 70s. And he, he talked about the struggle, and he's got some pretty cool videos. But um, I like Johnny Cash. That's one of my favorite uh, train songs. And there's a host of from the Wabash Cannonball, um, mm -hmm. quite a few of them. So, yeah, what about uh, that, that? You know, Bruce Springsteen had that Tucson train uh, a couple years back, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's another one. I, I just I like Johnny Cash, so I'm a big Johnny Cash guy. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Railroads probably will be the we will we keep moving more and more about freight by rail, and if not, and it's not going to slow down. Um, with the infrastructure and partnerships, Arizona's a growth. Um, interestingly enough, for export to Mexico, we were just, I was just talking to both, both gubernatorial candidates, uh, campaigns is talking about the need to expand. Uh, we've got at least, we have one active port into port interest in Nogales. We have one that's dormant down in, um, below Douglas in Naco. We have the unlimited amount to run a lot of freight. Also the Casa Grande area is seeing an explosion of business and new jobs being created. Uh, we're adding tracks out there. That's kind of, to me, if you look at it on a map, it makes a lot of sense to put rail infrastructure there because it's just below San Francisco, just below um, Phoenix, but yet it can get out to California. It can get in and out of some strategic locations, and it's close to Mexico. So there's a lot of strategic reasons we're looking at that. Not to mention we're, we're, the, we're, we're the copper kings of the world because mm -hmm. – we run copper trains all the time. So there's just an ambient amount of work that has to be done here. So. Well, good. Well, thank you very much. No problem. All right. Riding on the city of New Orleans, Illinois Central Monday morning rail, Fifteen cars and fifteen restless riders Three conductors and twenty-four sacks of mail All along the southbound Odyssey The train rolls out of Kankakee And moves along past houses, farms and fields 
Passing trains that have no name And switchyards full of old black men And graveyards full of rusted automobiles Good morning America, how are you? Say, don't you know me? I'm your native son I'm a train they call the city of New Orleans I'll be gone 500 miles when the day is done By request of my guest Chris Cheely, that was Johnny Cash's version of City of New Orleans, originally written by Steve Goodman. And thank you for uh, coming on and talking to me, Chris. Um, and that was a very enlightening interview. I need that guy back on. Uh, I, I'm Ted Przelski. This has been Words and Work. Uh, National Writers Union, we're back to in-person meetings. Keep an eye out on Facebook for our next presentation. Words and Work has been a presentation of the National Writers Union and Downtown Radio. Thank you all for listening.